You're listening to Heretic by Rookies. This is Chapter 3, Lucius and Delilah Denholm. The man who stood before me had barely two or three inches on me, and stood with a cane heavily favouring his left leg, which brought us about level. Despite this, I had the overwhelming feeling I was being looked down upon. I levered my stare, unwilling to give ground even in my posture. I had stared down many pedigree in my life, and I wasn't going to let this man think he could intimidate me from our very first meeting. To be honest, I was surprised. The way Johannes spoke about the old man in such reverence, I'd expected one of the pedigree lines from the royal court. Some tall, statesque giant, like the Mastiffs, or a fine-featured Dane. Of all the possibilities I'd considered, a Spaniel was not amongst them. But there he was. I wouldn't say the man was diminutive. He had a sturdy, stocky frame, and despite his obvious handicap, he looked as though he kept in fighting trim, or as close as a man of his age could. He wore the garments of his class in far more dignified fashion than I did, and like Johannes, he wore a sabre, and his was not for show. His expression was severe, his dark eyes assessing me in a way I could feel boring straight into my bones. One of his ears was ragged, and I thought I saw a hint of a continuing scar along his neckline, but he wore one of those cravats as well, which covered most of it. His fur was well-groomed, also unlike me, although Johannes's groomer had tried to tame my coarse coat, God bless him, and his coloration looked to have been white and liver with a tickling along his face, although a sizable amount of grey had since grown in. He was probably fairly attractive in his time, if he went in for spaniels, he had that bearing every pedigree had, like they knew the world answered to them. And like many others I'd met, though, there was no false pleasantry in his expression. The way he looked at me was probably precisely as judgmental and unpleasant as he actually felt towards me. To be fair, I'd just gone on a tirade about my sexual preferences, loudly, in his garden. I could taste my foot. I took a moment to remind myself that I didn't care, and steeled myself. If this was going to go badly, best that he'd do so at the start. I was fit and healthy, and even without a real weapon, I liked my chances against the old man. Johannes would probably be much more of a threat. I've seen that look in a man's eyes before. When he was on his way to the gallows, blotting escape, the spaniel cocked an eyebrow at me. I quirked a jowl to the side, annoyed that he'd read me so easily. Calm down, boy. I didn't have you cleaned up and brought all this way just to kill you. They could have managed that just fine where you came from. I forced a wry grin. I've had a bad month. I'm a little defensive. At ease, the Lord murmured, in the dismissive tone of a man who'd given such order many times in his life. He closed the distance between us in no great hurry and stopped a foot or so in front of me, his eyes continuing to sweep my figure, sizing up, what, I wasn't sure. And for some reason, that irritated me. Like if I came up lacking for some reason, I wouldn't even know why. Like what you see, old man? I questioned, keeping none of the snark from my tone. I could practically hear Cuthbert's palm hitting his forehead, as all of our careful preparation over the last few weeks shattered before his eyes. I'd warned him this wouldn't work, I couldn't pass for anything other than what I was, and I didn't much care to play his farce for the rest of my life anyway. No, 
the spaniel replied bluntly. But I'm also hardly surprised. I didn't expect to be impressed. I gave a woof. Pardon me for falling short. I didn't say you'd fallen short either, he knitted his brow. You are just exactly what I expected. He turned his gaze from me suddenly and began speaking to Cuthbert. They said a cattle dog. I'd hoped he'd have some trace of an obvious bloodline somewhere. It's going to be difficult to pass this off as anything but a scandal. I'm afraid so, sir, Johannes sighed. I have a bloodline. Healers are well regarded in the Dales. My father and mother both were from good families. Poor families, he stated, without any trace of pity. At least there was that. And I doubt you have papers. No one but pedigrees keep papers, I growled. And that's beside the point. I'm not some mongrel. No, you're not. At least there is that. He glanced back at Johannes. A healer. He seemed to give that some thought for a few moments before nodding. I suppose we can make it work. He'll barely pass at court, and it might be difficult to explain the pups, but it's hardly unheard of for a pedigree line to take prominence in children in cases of mixed breeding, Johannes supplied. Wasn't the breeding mixed, anyway? I asked what I thought was an innocent question, before both of the two canines' heads snapped to regard me, and levelled equally cold stares at me. I put my paws up, tipping my ears back. I just mean, the father. The father. Lucius curled his lip in a manner strikingly similar to Cuthbert's thorny reaction every time the subject of this woman's lover was brought up. Lord Irving is of the Spaniel bloodline as well. Tricolor coat, which I suspect will show in her pops, but the man is certainly no healer. Hold on, I shook my head. Listen, you'll have to excuse the language here, but I can't think of a fancier way to put this at the moment. I saw Johannes put up a hand as though to stop me from speaking, but I think he gave up before he really tried. He'd learned by now that trying to keep my mouth shut was a futile effort. Your girl knocked boots with another pedigree. You're marrying her off to scum like me, instead of the rightful father. I watched as the man took a moment to digest that, and simply nodded, which led me to ask the obvious question, of course. Why? The reason shouldn't matter to you. I am dissatisfied with the thought of Lord Irving as the heir to my family fortune, or the keeper of my fleet. And the keeper of your daughter, I finished for him. Although, to be honest, a few moments after I'd said it, I was uncertain it was a consideration for him. He hadn't brought it up on his own, after all. Perhaps this was why Johannes was so protective of the girl. The pedigree class was not known for their kindly treatment of the fairer sex. Look, I sighed, trying to level with the man. I'm just saying, if the girl had an affair with another pedigree, why not just let the two of them marry and be done with it? Sounds like this lord's even from the right stock. You're arguing for me to offer all I have to another man instead of yourself. The spaniel tilted his head, regarding me with that maddeningly calm expression. That seems not to be in your best interest, young man. I am offering you a small kingdom compared to what you come from. Think about how crazy that sounds for a second, I said, dropping my hand. Look. This whole thing would be hell of a windfall for me, yeah. But it's insane. You don't know me. Your daughter doesn't know me. 
we can rectify that momentarily. I don't like the idea of separating two lovers, all right? I bit out. I don't know what your issue with this man is, but if he and your daughter, Lord Irving, is not in love with my daughter. The Lord's voice broke just a bit, for the first time, belaying what might have almost been a growl under the words. I fell silent. And she's most certainly not in love with him. There is no affair, there is no relationship, there is nothing. Lord Irving's only interest in my family is my fleet, and what remains of my properties. I will never give that man permission to wed my daughter, regardless of how many bastards of his she has in her womb. He snarled at the last word. Never. And I will not speak on this matter any longer. That man is not mentioned in this house to me, and most certainly never to my daughter. Is that understood? What transpired before you were brought in here is of no bearing on your future with this family. I had no response to the Spaniel's sudden tirade, and he must have taken my silence as acceptance, because he relaxed his shoulders slightly after a few quiet moments had passed, and continued. At the very least, I appreciate that you're taking my daughter's feelings into consideration. It shows some moral character, and that is in short supply in today's world. Someone ought to take your daughter's feelings into consideration, I murmured, crossing my arms over my chest. Oh, he looked down his muzzle at me. I suppose you find my orchestrating my daughter's future distasteful. Don't think yourself so morally superior. You do not understand the complex nature of pedigree society, and how truly difficult it is to balance ensuring your family's future with the desire to not see your daughter's fragile heart broken in the process. I care very much for my daughter, and I am the only living family member she has with the knowledge and wherewithal to make the right decisions for her. A pedigree woman cannot by law choose her own mate. She can only seek the favour of one and hope her family approves. My daughter no longer has that option. Any allegiance with another family now would be rejected in a few months' time, when the man in question discovered her condition. Our choices here, at this point, are limited, and believe me when I say, you are the last option we considered. I don't understand why I'm an option at all, I said, exasperated. We've barely met, and it's already becoming apparent that you aren't fond of me. I'm sure your daughter won't be, either. I'm never going to integrate well into you blue bloods. You've said so yourself. Everyone amongst your circle of society is going to despise me just as much as you do. Yes, I believe you're right. I instructed Cuthbert to make that clear to you before you came here. We assumed a man such as you would be accustomed to being hated. I didn't believe it would be a problem. I gave him an angry glare at that, but he only shrugged. It is the truth, is it not? Your disciplinary file was extensive, even amongst Alpha Dog Navy men I've seen before. But then, when a man's got a secret like yours, I suppose a lot of violent overcompensation is all but inevitable. Over the last few minutes, you've called me low-bred, ignorant, and violent. I felt my hackles rising. How in the hell can you stand there and say all these things about me, and ask me to marry your daughter in the same breath? He levelled a long stare at me and spoke quietly. Because Klaus trusted you. I don't know how or why, but for the first time in almost two months, hearing my lover's name fell on me softly, instead of pounding into my chest like a heart attack. 
Ever since the noble had died in my arms, there had been slowly building weight inside me, like the blood in my veins was freezing. Even breathing became difficult when I thought of him. It felt like when I'd fallen into the glacial waters in the North Country and swallowed nearly a gallon of icy seawater before I was pulled to safety by my crewmates. I'd honestly thought for a few seconds there that my lungs would freeze, my heart would stop, and I'd die with a block of ice lodged in my chest. But for the first time since it had happened, now of all times, hearing this man talk about Klaus in a voice that somehow echoed the same sharp pain, I felt less alone in my grief. And more importantly, I felt as though it might be all right to grieve for him. If a man this important, this strong, this powerful, could have this much pain in his voice when he spoke of his friend, perhaps I wasn't so weak as I thought. It was incredibly freeing. Unfortunately, that meant I was free to feel all the sadness I'd been holding back on for so long, all the pain I'd been too humiliated to feel. I needed to grieve his death, but this wasn't the most ideal time. Almost miraculously, despite the fact that I was certain the nobleman saw my paws shaking and the fierceness with which I was holding back the water in my eyes and belting my mouth shut, he spared my bride by turning around. Or maybe he was sparing his own. Come. Sit with me in the garden. I need to rest my leg, he murmured. Let's talk as men, as equals. No more of this pointless dominance play between classes. We're both soldiers, we're both men of the world. That is what matters. A few minutes later I found myself in the garden, seated beside the nobleman and staring into a small pond fed by one of the gargoyles from the high overhead on the house parapets. Some kind of a brightly coloured fish was swimming beneath the lily pads. It was a deceptively serene setting, considering the conversation at hand. Lung wound, hmm, Lucius mused somberly. I always told Klaus he needed to guard his chest better. He was reckless in all things, though I did not expect he would die in his bed. The fact that he made it to thirty-seven is nothing short of a miracle. He was thirty-nine, I said softly. We celebrated his birth date with some good whiskey a month before he died. He turned to regard me, tipping an ear. Thirty-nine, was it? I'd forgotten, or he lied to me about his age. That certainly wouldn't surprise me. Klaus didn't have a very good relationship with honesty. Or he lied to me, I sighed, my eyes falling back to the peaceful pond and its lone multicolored occupant. It's possible the man forgot his own age, honestly. Lucius chuckled. I doubt he would have lied one way or the other by two years. It would hardly make a difference. I don't know, I muttered. Sometimes I think he lied or obfuscated the truth just for the sake of it. When you really get right down to it, I know so little about him, and we spent four years together. I felt a paw on my shoulder and looked up in mild surprise. It was rare that any man who knew my secret dined to touch me. Even Johannes seemed physically uncomfortable around me, and on the few occasions we had made contact, it was because he'd been hauling my ass around, or correcting my posture or clothing. In any case, I'd certainly not expected any physical gestures of comfort from him, let alone this lord I'd been growling at just ten minutes earlier. Try not to reflect on your doubts, he spoke in a calm voice, which I was beginning to find less irritating every moment. I'd thought his tone to be some haughty, aristocratic infliction, but the more I listened to him, the more I felt his honesty in every word. 
I was beginning to suspect the man simply didn't care what he said and had the station in life to allow him that right. I'd probably be pretty damn relaxed if I knew no one could reprimand me for saying what I felt. Klaus is past now, and so is whatever the two of you had, he said evenly, without that vague disgust I was so used to hearing whenever Johanna spoke to me about the White Shepherd's relationship with me. Honour the dead, honour his memory, and focus on what good came of your time together. Klaus had many flaws, but one thing he excelled at was finding pleasure in life, wherever his life took him. I'm certain he'd want you to do the same. I have to ask, I said carefully, not wanting to ruin the upswing of our conversation, but maddening curiosity had finally gotten the better of me. You were clearly close with Klaus. Johannes says your fleet sailed together for some time, and that you knew of him in the academy. And... If you'll pardon me saying so, you clearly know he and I were lovers, but... I paused, my tongue dry. You haven't a hint of the derision or disgust I hear so evidently in Cuthbert's tongue every time the subject rises. Were you... He laughed, suddenly, which startled me more than it should have, but I'd been bracing for an angry retort of some sort, so I suppose a laugh wasn't bad. No, he put out a hand, waving it in the air between shoulder-shaking chuckles. Let me just derail that before you go any further with it. I assure you, Klaus and I did not harbour the same connection you and he did. Ours was purely platonic, brotherly relationship. We earnestly were just schoolmates and then comrades in arms. He sighed nostalgically. I have been, and shall always be, quite the skirt chaser, actually. Bit of a bad habit for a man of my station. So... Johannes warned from his position tucked aside one of the ivy trellises nearby. I'd honestly forgotten he was there. I also noted, with some amusement, that he was using strikingly similar tone with the spaniel, as I'd heard him use on me many times over the last few weeks, when I had said or done something inappropriate. Lucius only waved him off, though. Oh, give it a rest, old chap. We know enough of the boy's secrets to hang him thrice over. I highly doubt he'll go about running his mouth that I'm a cad. Besides, half of court knows it by now. I smirked to myself. If this man valued propriety, as Johannes had said, he clearly let the leash go slack every now and then. Klaus was too, you know, he sighed, crossing his arms over his waistcoat. It took me a few years to realise he wasn't bringing any of his girls back to the dorms. I really should have caught on sooner. I think half the reason the man wanted to go to the sea so badly, and eventually ended up spending every waking hour he could on the Winnipeg, out at the sea, was to avoid suspicion on land. A man his age really should have married long ago, but when you're at sea... Nothing matters but the boat and the water, I said quietly. He nodded. Everything else is ultimately meaningless when you're at the sea. Class, money, family, connections, breeding... When you're blogging a cannon shot that can sink your boat and every soul aboard, it all breaks down as you realise how little it all means. All that matters is the boat and the water, and keeping the one atop the other. I had issues with Klaus's lifestyle when I first discovered it. It more mystified me than enraged me, honestly. I couldn't see why anyone would choose it. His muscle twitched uncomfortably. It was only after I visited his family one winter. 
and watched his own mother humiliate him in front of a prospective bride and half his extended family that I realised it wasn't a choice. No one would subject themselves to so much pain if they had any choice in the matter. No one understands that, I spoke solemnly. I'd imagine it must have been even worse for you than Klaus, without the protection of money and a powerful family. That wasn't my first stay behind bars, or my first lashing. You're fortunate to be alive, he sighed. Some of the hardliners in the church believe that there is no redeeming a sexual deviant. I bit my tongue, but I still saw Cuthbert's hand hovering over his sword hilt. I really, I grated out, don't like being called that. Apologies, he lifted an eyebrow. What shall I call it, then? I've learned no other term for someone who flouts society's norms. It doesn't matter if the definition fits. It isn't deviant for us, I glared. That's just the problem. It is the norm for us. Being like you would be unnatural. Calling us that says we aren't normal. You aren't, he rebuffed. Who my bet doesn't change anything else about me, I said, annoyed. It doesn't affect anyone, except the people I bet. The only reason it's been bad for me is because of the people who are against it. Again, you have my apologies for offending you, the man answered in that calm tone, which was once again beginning to irritate me. I got frustrated with men that were hard to rile. I'd become accustomed over the years to settling most disputes with a fight, but he just refused to take my bait. If you honestly want to know, I sighed, the vernacular amongst the few of us that haven't been stuffed out is gay. That's so, he sniffed, apparently oblivious to how close that had just come to a brawl. Well, whatever terminology you prefer, as I said, to a navy man, such things are meaningless. You spend enough time at sea, you gain that mindset on land as well. And I have spent nearly half my life at sea. I care not whom you bed. I leaned back against the stone bench. Shouldn't you, though? I mean, for the marriage. For your daughter's sake. Son, he fitted his eyes up towards the sky, the sunlight catching in them and reducing his irises to pinpricks. If anything, your preferences were a mark in your favour. It's rare that a father has a chance to see his daughter married to a man whom he knows will never abuse her in obscene ways. I laughed, despite myself. Father in heaven, you make even married straight sex sound so dirty. My daughter has a gentle disposition, he said quietly. Earnestly, many pedigree women play at the docility and reserve expected of their station. But Delilah is a truly soft-hearted girl. I have worried my entire life over the day I would need to pass her into the hands of another man. She's so placating. I fear the abuses a marriage might bring upon her, both emotional and intimate. He turned his eyes back on me at that moment. If you never touch her over the whole course of your marriage, I will be very content. But I began. I don't care if this pregnancy bears no healthy heirs. He shook his head. I don't care if my family line dies here. Don't feel you need to bed her, even if we lose those pups. Good, I sighed. Because in all honesty, I don't think I can. That gives me great comfort. He stood, pushing himself up by his cane. He turned and looked down at me. 
Delilah deserves to be happy, and provided this all goes through well, I believe she will be. She will have the burden of marriage lifted from her shoulders. She will, God willing, have children to raise, and she'll never again need to risk another pregnancy. And I will have an able and intelligent steward for my fleet. He will rarely be at home to inconvenience her. In a way, it's the perfect marriage. In that it isn't a marriage, I remarked with a roll of my eyes. I know it might be hard for you to accept this, but I really do have my daughter's best interests at heart in all of this. He let out a breath. Ever since I became aware of her condition, I have been in a mad scramble to save her honour and ensure she's not cast out from all polite society for the rest of her years. I'm doing this for my daughter. Were I a callous man, I would simply cast her aside and disinherit her and her children. I cannot bring myself to do that, and I am unwilling to marry her to the father of the children, so the only other option left available to us is marry her to another. Someone so desperate they would accept a woman carrying another man's pops, and would be willing to fast desiring them and accept the dishonour that came with that. He looked my way. No nobleman worth his salt would accept my terms. My only other option is a merchant hungry for my title, and I will not entrust my fleet to someone likely to sell it off and invest in olive oil. I woofed a laugh, and he continued. I began looking for a navy man, someone lacking in a station, but with great potential. I didn't anticipate the criminal element, I'll admit. But it does give you something to hold over my head for the rest of my life, I muttered. He tipped his cane to me. There's that sharp mind of yours again. You see how well this works out, for both of us. Regardless of whom I chose to wed my daughter, they would also by right inherit my fleet. That is how the law works. Finding someone suitable for being caretakers to both was quite the struggle. About the fleet, I began. My flagship is the Cerberus, he said, beginning to walk further into the garden. I stood and followed. She has four sister ships and four very able captains, men I served with during my time in the navy, before this. He tapped his own leg with his cane. Who captains the Cerberus? I queried. That would be me, Johannes's deep voice from behind me made my hackles rise in surprise. For such a huge dog, he could really creep up on you. Ah, sorry to be replacing you, old boy. I suddenly understood some of his annoyance from earlier, but I honestly didn't expect that. It was almost unheard of for a lord to appoint a low-born man to a command rank, let alone as captain of one of his vessels. Then again, this was the same man who was offering his daughter to someone like me, and the fleet that came with her. Quite the ego there. You think I'll just appoint you right off? Lucius chuckled at me. Well, I... I need to see your skills for myself first, young man, the spaniel smiled. All we have is your word that it was the mind in that thick skull of yours making Klaus's command decisions for him over the last four years. Well, it certainly wasn't him. I groused. No, I'd imagine not, he chuckled again. You know, Johannes and I were getting reports in from naval headquarters for the last few years, puzzling over the sudden upswing of that man's career. I guessed there had to be someone else behind it all. Klaus has always functioned far better as an inspiring leader, with a thinker somewhere in the ranks making his calls for him. You were actually not the first... He mentioned a fox he used to travel with. See, now, 
The man didn't keep everything from you. He paused for a moment, sniffing the wind. For what, I knew not. In any case, I'd be a fool to appoint you right off the bat. There will be a substantial probationary period, where you serve as Cuthbert's first mate. Even if you do eventually prove yourself as able succession and sailor as we suspect, I intend to keep Johannes about to keep your baser instincts in check, and assure my fleet is not being commanded by a madman. Before any of that, though, I'd like to get to know you better over the next month. We have roughly five weeks before it's the point of no return with Delilah. I have one other option put aside for her, if either she or I find you unsatisfactory. But I'll admit, I find the man too ambitious for my liking. I have no doubt he'll treat my daughter amicably, and that he will keep the fleet in my family. But I don't always like the way he captains his own ship, and I don't like how quickly he agreed to the arrangement. One of the captains in your fleet, I guessed. He glanced briefly at me, then flicked his ears back to the trail. Yes, very good. How did you know? Men I fought beside are the only ones I'd trust with sensitive information like that, I replied. Besides, he can't be nobility or he'd turn the idea down flat, like you said. Which means he's lower born. You mentioned he captained a ship. He must be one of your captains. You'd never tell anyone about your daughter's situation if you didn't think you had something to hold over their head to keep them from ruining her reputation. A man like that won't get a position in any other fleet than yours, and he won't risk losing his boat, so you knew you could trust him. All right, stop, he sighed. I can see already I'm going to have difficult time keeping things from you. I'm sorry, I shrugged. I didn't mean to pry. It doesn't matter to me who the other man is. You won't command your fleet like I will. You won't choose him. I see poverty has not kept you modest. He paused near one of the roast trellises, looking down the lane. I found my attention diverted to a birdbath where a particularly fat sparrow was hopping about. My stomach rumbled. I barely heard the man continuing. Arrogance will make you few friends, lad. It's not arrogance if it's true, I muttered, my eyes still pinned on that bird. I realised, of course, it would be extremely crass to pounce on a songbird in the estate garden of a man whose daughter I was potentially marrying, but my instincts and my stomach were trying to convince me otherwise. Sparrows were good eating. I was very absorbed in my fixation with the fat bird, so that when I felt Johannes's firm hand blant on my shoulder and yank me to a more upright stance, I shot him an annoyed glare without realising suddenly that every other set of eyes in the garden was looking somewhere else. Papa, a quiet, feminine voice queried from the far to my left, and my ear snapped to the side, my head soon following. The young woman standing beside one of the white rose trellises took a timid step back as my eyes came to bear on her. I honestly thought for a moment that she might bolt. Her stance reminded me of a spring doe, caught in the moment between noticing a predator and flight. The resemblance to her father was uncanny so I knew immediately this had to be the Lord's daughter. The liver-coloured fur patterning around her eyes and the freckles spotting along her white cheeks and muzzle were lighter and farther spaced apart, and she lacked the hardness in her wide brown eyes, but their features were unmistakable. The fur on her ears was growing out longer and fell in curls on either side of her cheeks, and she was noticeably shorter than her father. She had the bearing of so many pedigree women I'd seen before. Meek, submissive, and small, 
wearing a long white gown with lace along the seams, lending her an almost doll-like appearance. Just the way the men preferred them. She was petite, but not thin, and I thought I saw the hint of a poke in her belly. But then, she'd be more than three months along by now, so that was hardly surprising. Especially if she was carrying a litter, rather than just a single pup. She seemed to wilt under my gaze, crossing her arms shyly over her midsection, and stumbling over a breath that might have been a word if she'd been determined enough to get it out. I swallowed, hard. In less than twenty seconds, I was beginning to see exactly what Lucius had meant when he'd been speaking about his daughter. This girl was not what I expected. She had no false bearing, no scent of deceit on her. All I smelled on her was fear. All of my encounters with the pedigree woman throughout my lifetime had been with the gold-digging, conniving few who dined to stalk military men when they felt like slumming it. The way Klaus spoke about the woman at court, they were all liars, each of them putting up a farce of gentility and delicate feminine grace, when in actuality all they ever really wanted was to get their hands in your inheritance and spit out a few pups they could abandon to be raised by the servant staff. Klaus hadn't had the best relationship with her mother. I'll admit, I was probably a bit sexist myself. I'd never known my mother, and I hadn't had reason to associate with women much throughout my life. I had a tendency to colour all my beliefs about the fairer sex and what little I'd heard, and everything I'd heard about women came primarily from sailors, so... But this girl was terrified. If she was a conniving bitch... She was also a damn good actress. I couldn't see how someone like this had gotten herself involved in an affair to begin with, let alone gotten herself knocked up. Luther, Lucius' voice split the silence. This is Delilah, my daughter. Delilah? The woman turned just slightly to regard her father, but her eyes skipped back to me a few times, as though to assure herself I wasn't planning on pouncing her like the sparrow. This is the navy man from Klaus Richter's fleet I spoke with you about. I cleared my throat, quietly. Afternoon, lady. I was struggling to remember all the things Johannes had tried to cram into my skull over the last few weeks, and drawing a blank. For some reason, I felt as though this little creature deserved to be treated decently. Oh, hello, she managed, quietly, and then she curtsied the graceful hem of her dress just barely brushing the paving stones of the garden path. I stood there like a fool, trying to remember exactly what I was supposed to do now. Johannes had gone over all the nonsense about decorum again and again, and I was starting to wish I'd listened. My mind went instead to one of the books I'd learned on when Klaus had been teaching me to read. He had a large collection of what amounted to romance novels in his cabin, which we'd delight ourselves with on quiet nights by reading aloud, swapping out all the female roles with svelte male foxes or harem boys from the Hudari lands. So, I steeled myself like I had many time before when a battle was before me, and approached the young woman. I felt both of the other men's eyes upon me, and the girl's far meeker gaze having trouble meeting mine. I stepped to within a few feet of her, and put my palm out. She blinked, as if momentarily unsure if she would reciprocate, but she must have felt it would be rude not to, because few seconds later, her far smaller paw settled gently into mine. I dropped to one knee, and as gingerly as I could manage, kissed the girl's hand. I closed my eyes at that moment, 
so I'm not sure exactly what sort of reaction that evoked from the young spaniel woman, but her hand trembled somewhat. And when I stood, I caught out the corner of my eye that Cuthbert seemed relaxed, Lucius was even vaguely smiling. Either what I'd just done was antiquated and laughable, or it was acceptable. Either way, it was a small victory. The girl was looking up at me, wide-eyed, and she was still holding my paw, which I took as a good sign. I think perhaps Johannes and I should depart for a bit, Lucius said, clearing his throat, so that you two might become better acquainted. She turned quickly to her father at that, and a little of that fear returned. Papa, I... I... Don't worry, Delilah, Cuthbert nodded at her. We'll be just along the trail. If you need us, for any reason, just call out for either of us. He shot a hard look at me at that, and for the girl's sake, I gave the appearance of being suitably intimidated. It wasn't hard, honestly. I thoroughly believed the wolfhound would kill me if I harmed this girl. That seemed to set her at ease, and she looked down for a moment, then gave a small nod. She was still holding my hand, so I made it obvious that I was releasing it with a gentle pat. She jumped a bit at that, but quieted after I released it. How could anyone hurt this girl? I extended an arm to her, a gesture I'd actually remembered from one of Johannes's talks. She tentatively reached one paw up and took me gently by the crook of my arm, and we began to walk. Your name is Luther, she asked quietly, surprising me by being the first to speak. It is, I nodded, looking down at her. Delilah, right? Beautiful name. Reminds me of a flower for some reason. Your name is quite fine too, she replied, purely to be complimentary, I'm sure. I shrugged. I was named after my grandfather. We walked in silence for a while after that, passing another of those small ponds, this one with three fish in it, and about a thousand more flowers. I sighed, wondering what the hell Johannes and his lord expected me to say to this woman. Ah, I think your surname is Denholm, Johannes said. She nodded. You haven't a surname? My family were herders, I replied. If you're not a pedigree and you don't really have a craft, most people just sort of refer to you by the area you're from. For someone not of noble birth, she began, and I wondered if I'd been wrong about the girl's humble mannerisms. You wear our garments very well. That caught me off guard. Either she was struggling to find things to be polite about, or that was an honest admission that she found me attractive. Ah, uh, not really, honestly. I glanced down at myself. The tailor had a lot of trouble fitting me, and I can't say wearing all of this comes naturally to me. You are... She was clearly struggling to find a polite way to phrase something. More lean than most pedigree men. The tailor was probably more accustomed to wider waistlines. Hmm, well, I've always had trouble maintaining any real bulk. We don't eat as well as you elites do, and they weren't exactly feeding me well. I paused realising belatedly that it might not be in my best interest to admit the skittish young woman that I'd just been gotten out of prison. Where I came from. I, I don't mind any of that, she said quietly. Your appearance matters very little to me. Well, you brought it up, I pointed out, hiding a slight smirk. She looked down, abasedly. Well, I... It's all right, lady. I know I'm hardly a dashing prince 
I must look like quite the stray compared to the men you're accustomed to. No, no, she began, but I just started chuckling. It's all right, I smiled down at her. Every class has different standards, you know. I prefer the roguish sorts, myself. Prim-top noblemen usually just make me roll my eyes. I don't expect that I'll ever fit in your society, and that's all right by me. I'd rather be who I am. Well, she glanced quickly up at me, then back down to her feet. Now that you mention it. I arched an eyebrow. Your, your cravat is inside out. Shit, I muttered, stopping in my tracks and glancing down at the thing. I gave a long, frustrated sigh and dug my fingers beneath the neckline, trying to pull it out from the complicated knot Johannes had tied it in. I would have never noticed it, but the girl was right. The side with the stitching was facing up. It made sense. Johannes probably had little experience putting somebody else's clothing on, and he'd probably done it the same way he did his own. It took me a few moments of struggling in vain with the thing to realise that the young woman beside me was giggling. I looked her way, helplessly. She covered her muzzle with one paw, trying to cover her mirth, but I could still see it in her eyes. Uh, hold on, she said, in between soft laughs. She reached up and disentangled my hand from the knotted fabric, then slipped her own paws to my neckline and began undoing the adornment. I sighed and stood still while she fixed the thing. Her muzzle was very close to mine in the few moments it took her. Her nose was pink and brown-spotted, and I noted to myself she seemed to be blushing. These girls, they hardly ever came to within a foot of men until the night of their marriage. Still, she was smiling, and for some reason I was happy for that. I'd been thinking on what sort of harpy I'd have to be wedded to for the sake of this fleet, ever since Johannes had told me about it and I hadn't even considered what the woman would have to endure being married to me. I was no better than the pedigrees who used their women like possessions or bargaining chips for politics and financial gain. I really didn't want to hurt this girl. I hoped silently that she already knew about my condition, as her father and Johannes put it. The only thing worse than a false marriage to a woman who loathed me would be a marriage to a woman who earnestly cared for me and couldn't understand why I couldn't return her feelings. So, she began hesitantly, interrupting the silence that had settled between us. Tell me about the sea. I stared at her in disbelief for a moment. How could I answer that? How could any sailor? It was the thing that had given my life meaning for more years than I'd spend on land. It was what had me pacing most evenings in frustration at being away from it. I struggled to find words that might convey the tiniest bit of all that to her. But she just chuckled shyly. I can see if I was right, she said with a reserved smile, and she became almost shy again as she continued. I had gotten the impression from what my father told me that you were a true navy man, much like his. From the look in your eye and your manner, it must certainly be the case. After pausing to take in my reaction, she wearily said, I hope I haven't offended you. I laughed in surprise. No, lady, I took no offence, I assured her gently. She relaxed a bit more as we stopped under one of the roast trellises and gazed at the stream that fed into the small pond. I was about to say something else when I heard the wolfhound's voice. He and the spaniel lord were apparently walking nearby and their voices were carrying to where I stood with a young lady. That was almost too painless, Johannes remarked. 
I noticed that they had stopped nearby when I failed to hear the distinctive tapping of the spaniel's cane on the soft ground. My girl rarely warms up to anyone so quickly, Lucius agreed, leaning on his cane. But why tempt fate? If they like one another, all the better. I glanced at the girl in question and saw she seemed slightly embarrassed that I'd heard that. I was about to lead her father away when I heard something that caught my attention. You've spoken to your daughter about why he was cast out of the navy, yes? The wolfhound questioned quietly. My jaw tightened in sudden dread, but was put at ease once again when she laid a gentle paw on my arm. I looked down at her quietly and saw, in those deep brown eyes, an amazing depth of understanding. I stared, dumbfounded by it, as her father answered. I have related the specifics in their entirety. I intend to keep nothing from her, where her prospective husband is concerned, the spaniel murmured. To be honest with you, though it was, at first, difficult to explain, the thought of having a man at her side with no interest in a woman whatsoever seemed, if anything, to ease her fears. It eases mine as well. Johannes narrowed his eyes and dropped his hand to ghost over the hilt of his sword. I wasn't there for her when she needed me most. I will not let another man harm her ever again. I was no longer in any doubt of that. The wolfhound had impressed his affection and protectiveness towards her on me quite sufficiently to last my lifetime. I knew that if I ever caused her pain, I not only have to answer to her father, but to Cuthbert as well. At that, I extended my arm to Delilah, and she paused slightly before accepting it. I began to lead her away, to give the older men some of the privacy they thought they'd had. I heard the old lord chuckle appreciatively as I refused to meet his gaze. When he seemed sure we were out of earshot, he spoke again, but his voice still barely made it to us. Nothing can be done about that, Johannes. Lucius spoke resentfully but warily. We must focus on the future now, not the past. He lifted his head and looked out over the garden, settling his gaze again where his daughter was walking with me. He seemed relieved that we were both smiling now. It's sad, isn't it, old boy? the lord murmured. What's that, sir? That I trust my own daughter with a sexual deviant we dredged out from prison more than I would with one of my own fellows. We were just about at the edge of hearing them, but I strained to hear what the knight had to say in response to his lord's proclamation. From the corner of my eye, I saw Cuthbert follow his lord's gaze to where we stood in the garden, shielding his eyes with one palm against the fading sunlight. I trust no one, sir, 